Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Hard to believe, but the month of February is coming to a close, and that means we are getting reports from the government about all the things that have happened during February. One of those reports came out on Friday, and that is the February Cattle on Feed Report. We'll be diving into those numbers with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services in just a moment. We're also going to talk weather. John Baranek of DTN Weather is going to join us with a look at the week ahead that I think is going to be warmer for a a lot of folks in our listening territory and then we're going to take a trip to washington dc auditorially we're going to hear from senator charles grassley he's going to give us an update on what the senate is discussing with regard to the russia ukraine situation he's got an update on several of the pieces of legislation he's working on we'll have that conversation with senator grassley later on and then at the end of the show we're going to talk with John Sandbach, and he's the executive director of the National Sunflower Association. But first, let's talk about these cattle on feed numbers. Dennis Smith joins me today. Dennis, it sounds like we've got a lot of cattle on feed, especially for the month of February. Yeah, the on feed at 101%. Placements were down 1%. Marketing's at 97%. Uh, it's a large number. You're right, Mike, but uh, these are futures markets that we are dealing with. And in the future, we are expecting this to be peak inventory. In other words, from here forward, cattle on feed numbers start to decline, and they will decline for months, in my opinion. Well, and Dennis, it sounds as though we're starting to see that placements down. What were what were you able to divine looking at the the number of placements for particularly the different weights of cattle? Was there anything that you could uh, tell us from the report? Yeah, the the lightweight uh, calves were up about three percent roughly, and the heavier weights were were down about one percent. Net result was a slightly lower placement. Uh, we've been seeing a big run of feeders, lightweight calves off of wheat pasture, completely dried up wheat pasture, and it looks like that's pretty much run its course. Uh, so that's a little bit of a positive moving forward, in my opinion, that most of those cattle have already been moved. Now, uh, the placements were roughly, uh, I think they were exactly, in fact, 100% in uh, Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska. They were at 96%, so in Texas. So Texas placed 4% fewer animals, and that, again, resulted in a 1% lower total placement number. So I think the uh, the placements are, can, can be expected to, to start edging lower from here forward. And Dennis, you touched on that discrepancy. We've got placements going well up north where there's feed that Southern Plains drought down there, Texas, Oklahoma panhandles. I know you work with cattle producers all the time. Have you heard many ranchers down there liquidating herds already, or are they hoping we get a little shot of moisture into this spring in that country? No, I tell you, Mike, uh, the, the data indicates uh that uh, we continue to see a, a highly elevated beef cow slaughter here in 2022. So it can, the, the, the culling of the herd of the U.S. beef herd continues in force. 
uh, from last year right into this year. And uh, that that is a fact driven by the data. All right. We're seeing it play out in real time. Dennis, obviously, as we take a look at the markets today, we're seeing weakness on the live cattle front, but not too much considering we had the largest cattle on feed number for February ever. How is the market reacting to this report? Has it been shoved to the background on concerns of, again, this Russia-Ukraine movement in the markets? Yeah, we weren't sure exactly what to expect, uh, given the volatility in the grain market and, of course, in the, the currency market and the stock market and, you know, all of these outside influences. Uh, I guess I'm fairly uh, impressed with uh, the performance of the live cattle. Uh, we had orders to buy live cattle working and orders and feeders to buy feeders, and I pulled the orders in the feeder cattle market out of concern where feeders would trade in, in light of a 30 cent higher corn market. Uh, turns out the market's uh, roughly 200 lower and not even uh, approaching my buying zone. So I, I'm really impressed and uh, we are looking to, to buy the deferred cattle contracts for spec traders, uh, establishing length in the October, December and Feb 23. Uh, with the market 50, 60 lower, I'm real impressed with the action. And Dennis, I was intrigued to hear you say you're looking at the deferreds. You mentioned October, December, October 22, December, then into 2023. Looking at the summer months and live cattle here, 137. Do you expect this cash trade to keep pushing higher? I know we had a bit of a setback yesterday, but is there still strength for from the consumer out there? Oh, I think so. Uh, we're looking at wholesale beef prices that are are way down off of the uh, the recent highs. And it's uh, low enough now, Mike, in our opinion, to, to really attract some retail demand. Uh, the, the users can now book this beef and they can, they can wrap it up and put some specials out for springtime demand. And I think that is going to bode very well for, for the domestic demand in the beef sector. And, of course, we're also very optimistic that we will continue to export large amounts of U.S. beef. Now, Dennis, as you think about this feeder cattle market, you mentioned 20 to 30 cent run in corn today. We've got December 22 corn knocking around that $6 mark. Where does this put the cattle feeder throughout the summer? How should they be locking in feed needs given the volatility? A tough question, and I don't have an answer for that, quite frankly. We don't know where this market is going from a, from a uh, volatility standpoint, given this Russian invasion, we if if this invasion or if this war, if you want to call it that, uh, has a, a, a rapid conclusion one way or the other, and these ports open back up, and and Ukraine, whether it's called Ukraine or something else, is able to plant a crop this spring, grain prices turn back lower and they go sharply lower, in my opinion. If the war is protracted and drags on and uh, and these ports remain closed and, and it's real uncertain how long this is going to drag out, uh, the grain prices will continue higher. Yeah, we're going to have to just keep an eye on the situation there. Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services with a look at what all is happening in the cattle market. And Dennis, it sounds like it's going to be a busy week regardless for you folks watching these markets, don't you think? 
Oh yeah, we've been uh, we've been slammed, and it's it's real good uh, business. We're 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 working a lot of orders, uh, trying to help a lot of people uh, manage this risk, and it is a lot of risk. It is. Volatility creates opportunity, but that risk is present. Keep your head on a swivel, producers. Thanks to Jenna Smith for talking to us from Archer Financial Services. When we return, John Baranek of DTN Weather has an outlook on what could be coming from the sky this week. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. 
diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Folks, thanks for making this show a part of your day. Certainly appreciate it. We want to make sure we're talking about all the things that matter. So before we get into the weather, I just want to note very quickly that, again, markets are moving actively to start the week. If you do, if you are looking to make some sales of grains, boy, I would be watching closely today. Corn's up 20 to 30 cents as of taping. We've got soybeans up 34 in the new crop to 45 cents higher in the old crop. We've got a lot of green on the screen in the markets today and that's being offset by some of the rally on the energy side crude oil up almost four bucks again today the rallies continue lots of volatility remaining in the market also this time of year folks we get lots of volatility in the air as we begin that transition from winter into spring for a lot of folks across the country to help highlight how that transition is going to look joining me today is john baranek of dtn weather john it's a little warmer for most folks across the country today who all's going to get a little warm up uh, just about everybody, unless you're right up near the Canadian border. Uh, most of us are going to be dry and warm for the next several days. And warm's kind of a relative term, especially this time of year. We're adding temperature onto our normals here every day. As we're uh, now, tomorrow is the first day of meteorological spring. So uh, we're looking we're looking back towards towards uh, winter with a get out of get out of here and. And looking forward to spring here. Um, but, you know, it's only going to be uh, this week for some areas here across, especially the western half of the country. We're going to see a big change coming up to our weather here for March uh, as we get into this weekend. We're going to have a, a, a low-pressure trough move into the west kind of on Thursday and Friday. And that's going to send pieces of energy out into the plains and then through the Midwest here uh, Friday through the weekend and going into next week as well. We'll see several pieces here. And, uh, you know, we're, the first uh, storm system that comes out of that is going to be the big storm system, I think, out of it. So uh, widespread, uh, moderate to heavy precipitation is expected here from basically kind of the central plains out to the Midwest. Uh, some severe thunderstorms would be possible across kind of the Delta region a little bit, maybe even into the Midwest. And then a couple of little pieces that kind of follow that system will continually push that front of colder air kind of farther south. Uh, going into the middle of the month. So um, we'll see temperatures being quite warm here over the next few days, but uh, for a lot of us, especially out in the the plains and in the upper Midwest, we'll see temperatures kind of trending downward uh, as we go through the middle of the month. All right. So this is that opportunity. If you've been putting off some outside work, waiting for some warmer temps to do it, you got the next couple days. It sounds like, John, you touched on those pieces of energy coming off this system later on this week. You talked about the central plains. Anything in that crystal ball look like it's going to make its way down to the southern plains? Yeah, you know, there's, you know, we've seen this a few times already over the course of the winter where we get these systems um, that don't follow the clipper pattern that we have been in for, for most of the winter. And, uh, you know, kind of emerge out over the southern plains and move through the Ohio Valley. And they've showed promise at bringing in some decent precipitation there across the southern plains, and they just never panned out. It was always just light. Everything was half inch or less of, of, of liquid equivalent. And uh, these ones are, are kind of showing the same thing. There's, uh, there is some potential there uh, with a couple of these pieces of energy 
bringing a little bit more precipitation, kind of the western Kansas and, and the western panhandles there of Oklahoma and Texas. But um, man, the, the 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 way that things have gone over the over the last several weeks here, I just gotta throw caution that even though we see some potential for that, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Uh, the, the, the better part is that when we get towards the middle of the month, we really get a, a trough really ingrained down there in the Four Corners region. And that's the situation we really like to see for getting precipitation back into the Southern Plains. That doesn't happen until mid-month, though, and that's two weeks away. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, yeah, we're looking for a good event here in the, two weeks from now. But it uh, looks like that would be the best chance of seeing something actually significant for those hard red winter wheat areas. You know, as you talk about that Four Corners area, you know, last year, well, and for the past several years, when we talk about the West Coast, drought has been the chief concern. We've seen water rights shut off to a lot of growers through the Central Valley. Was having a conversation last week with vegetable growers down in Yuma, Arizona. They're very concerned about Colorado water flow. How does the snowpack look across the Rockies so far this year? John, are, are we getting enough moisture to start to recharge some of the major rivers out West? We started to do that uh, early on in the season, uh, in the winter season, especially in the month of December. We had, again, there was a big trough out there in, in the west, and that's really what you need to, to start piling on snow up in the mountains. And we saw that in, in, uh, in December, but kind of we switched that in January and February, and we just hadn't been able to add to it. So while we got off to a good start, we've kind of gone below uh, normal here for much of the much of the central and southern Rockies, especially uh, they have, just have not had the systems they normally see during a winter season. Now this month could be a little bit different uh, with that trough out there in the west. We'll see some better precipitation chances, um, but you know we've kind of fallen behind a bit, so we might just kind of add up to normal. You know these areas that have been in drought really need above normal snowpack, above normal uh, moisture. Uh, going into the spring season when we start melting it away uh and i i right now i'm not really seeing that all right so more discussions over lack of water there in the west coast could be facing us john we get a 60 degree day here in the midwest looking at the month of march i know a lot of folks right now are heading out to those machine sheds they're getting planters pulled out they're starting to get geared up for springtime you mentioned that trough later on in this month are we going to see planting delays as we get into march and april is this setting up to be a wet spring well, it's already been pretty wet here over the last couple of weeks in the eastern Corn Belt, especially. Um, you know, we've still got flood warnings out there for a lot of the rivers across uh, the Ohio Valley and then down to the Mid-South and Delta regions, too, from kind of precipitation that happened last week. And, um, you know, so we're, we've set ourselves up with some pretty saturated soils here. It's going to take some dryness periods to, to undo that. Uh, we're not going to have that here in the first half of the month. And, you know, with that trough kind of being around um, into the mid part of the month. I think, you know, if anybody was going to try and get out there uh, early this month, it's, it's not looking too, not looking too good for that. And as we get towards the end of the month, though, we're going to go back toward that clipper pattern that we had been in, in, in January, February. And uh, that's a lot lighter on the precipitation amounts, um, not totally across the Eastern Corn Belt though. So um, every once in a while, even during one of these clipper patterns, we'll get a nice trough kind of digging down uh, into the middle of the country, and then it brings a, a huge uh, precipitation path right through the Ohio Valley and uh, leaves everything soggy again. So uh, my guess is that you know we're in pretty wet conditions right now. We don't see a, a huge reason that that would uh, 
trend away towards drier here going into early spring. So I, I would suggest that uh, that planning del our delays are more likely than not. All right. Something to keep an eye on, folks, as you get closer to planting season in your neck of the woods. John, we look down in the southern hemisphere that Safrina corn crop is going in the ground right now across parts of Brazil. How does the forecast look there in, in Brazil and in Argentina? Yeah, we want to think of both as a whole. Um, over the weekend, they got some pretty decent showers over Argentina. They got one to two inches locally heavier in Argentina. And the front to that system slowly going to move its way through southern Brazil over the next few days here. And they're going to get, end up with some pretty decent showers in those areas as well. You know, all those areas down there are, are basically in drought and they need anything they can get. Uh, but this isn't going to be a, a whopper uh, by any means. However, uh, it's not the only system to contend with here. The, later this week, kind of Friday, Saturday, Saturday time frame, we get another system moving in through Argentina. And that system will go through southern Brazil as well with another couple of inches of rain with that system. Um, and that what appears to be that front kind of hangs around the uh, state of Paraná, which has been which is a, a pretty big uh, Safrina corn producing state um, going into next week. So um, if you take over the next 10 days, the next two weeks or so, we're looking at widespread two to four inches of rain across both Argentina and southern Brazil. And that state of Paraná getting into kind of more central areas, getting a little bit more than that as well. So uh, looking pretty good for the Safrina corn crop, at least for that time frame now. After we get to about the middle of the month and toward the you know the, the last half of March and going into April, we are looking at drier conditions still. So they're in drought. They're going to get some relief, but then they're going to go back into drier conditions. So that may not be overly helpful on the whole. And the the situation of La Nina does it uh, does it con continue to just uh, you know muck around right in here in the neutral or the the La Nina setting? Sorry, John, I, th I think we might have lost John there. Folks, really appreciate his insight as always. That was John Baranek. He is of DTN Weather, providing these insights to us each week here on AOA. Certainly appreciate it. Always appreciate the, the data he brings to the conversations. Folks, stick around. When we return, we will be talking with Senator Charles Grassley, Iowa's senior senator. So don't go away. Come back to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx.
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, grain and energy markets continue to react to the ongoing situation between Russia and Ukraine as we saw a sharply higher grain trade and energy trade overnight. We're still seeing sharply higher action across the entire grain sector and throughout energies as well, while the stock market turns its way to the downside. USDA announced two new export sales this morning, a sale of 4.4 million bushels of soybeans to unknown destinations and 136,000 metric tons or 5 million bushels of new crop soybeans sold to China. Grain and soy markets again continuing to recover Friday losses with the sharply higher trade. Wheat is leading the way here as the Russia-Ukraine conflict intensifies. One thing that's not being talked about much is will we see any crops planted in Ukraine in 2022 beyond the winter wheat currently growing? And how much of that will be harvested? That's something we're going to have to keep a close eye as on as the Russia-Ukraine situation continues. Right now, as we take a look at the market numbers, let's start with corn. May corn is currently up 30 and a half, 686 at a quarter. December corn up 20 and a half at six at a quarter. May soybeans up 45 and a half, 1630. November beans are up 36 at 1451. Soybean meal for May, that is up 640 a ton, 449.10. May bean oil up 247 points, 7140. Chicago wheat for May up 43 and a half, 903 and a quarter. May Kansas City wheat up 38 and three quarters at 929 and three quarters. May spring wheat, Minneapolis up 24 and a half, 984 and three quarters. Over in the livestock trade, mixed action there. April live cattle down 72, 141.20. March feeder cattle down 257, 157.45. April hogs down 20, 103.47. Crude oil up 385 a barrel, 9544. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. information farmers and ranchers need to know aoa now back to mike pearson welcome back to aoa folks thanks for making us a part of your day last wednesday night of course russia invaded the ukraine since then it has been all hands on deck around the world in geopolitics and of course in washington dc one man has taken some time away from all of the activity going on in dc to join us on the show today and that's iowa's senior senator mr charles grassley senator grassley thanks for joining us today and uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the time 
Well, I'm always glad to be with you and talk about what's so important to the family farmers. And, of course, even Ukraine being far away is still affecting uh, agriculture an awful lot. Yeah, it certainly is, Senator. We see that in the markets every day. And of course, fertilizer is a concern, and we'll get to all of that. But first, for those of us out here in uh, in the in the farm country, Senator, what is happening right now in Washington, D.C.? What is the Senate doing with response to this uh, Russian move into Ukraine? Well, I think there'll be some decision on that made tonight by individual senators after we get a secured briefing. That briefing starts about 7.30 tonight, and I think it will run to about uh, 9 or 9.30. And, uh, and that will give us an update from the standpoint of what the Department of Defense, the intelligence people, are telling us. And I think that, uh, that we're seeing uh, bills that Congress has passed a couple, three years ago to put sanctions on Russia, I think the president is using those sanctions, and particularly the one where they just have the interbanking arrangements that go by the name or the acronym SWIFT, and that operates out of Brussels, but it's a clearinghouse for all ba- all major banks around the world, and I think uh, uh, putting sanctions on Russia's use of that is what has made the biggest difference so far. Yeah, it certainly has garnered the most headlines, and it seems to be kind of the one action that can be done to actually hurt the pocketbooks of the Russian folks making decisions. Senator, with with the briefing ahead of you this evening, after that is finished, do you anticipate the Senate potentially voting on additional sanctions? Would that be the role of the U.S. Senate in this case? I don't know whether we need to. Uh, if, If we do, it'll come out in the hearing. Uh, There was legislation before the invasion that was working its way through the Senate in a bipartisan way, but the White House uh, called back the Democrats that were working on that, and so that kind of come to a halt. There was a Republican-only version of it put in uh, that was probably stronger than what could have been done by bipartisan. But I think the invasion has preempted all that. I think we're finding out if the president will have the guts to use all the power he has given to him by Congress uh, that, uh, that we don't need any more sanctions. But if we do, I think we're prepared to do it. The only thing that I think is uh, still questionable is uh, some additional funds to get uh, defensive equipment uh, into uh, into Ukraine and maybe some money to help uh, with the countries of Eastern Europe that are taking the migrants who are leaving uh, Ukraine to find asylum in another country. Indeed. We'll continue to watch that. Of course, after a war, there's always the humanitarian crisis that comes as folks are displaced. Senator, you mentioned we'll see how President Biden's going to react to this. Do you anticipate any big announcements during tomorrow night's State of the Union speech from the president? I can't think of any as long as he's trying to impose all the sanctions he can. Uh, I think he's going to probably uh, cover Ukraine, but he's going to concentrate probably uh, dealing with inflation, supply chains. Uh, I hope with uh, farmers he deals with fertilizer costs. I hope he tries to give some explanation of why he's concerned about the border between Russia and Ukraine, and I think he should be considered about concerned about that. But 
has no concern about the border between uh, Mexico and the United States. And, you know, you see the catastrophe uh, every day with the people uh, uh, coming into our country, violating our laws, and the laws aren't being enforced. And we don't need to pass any more laws in regard to the southern border because uh, it's just illegal to come to the country. But you've got to have a president that's going to enforce those laws. Well, and to that end, on the immigration front, Senator, I've heard from a lot of folks who are concerned about access to H-2A employees this year, the agricultural workers who were brought up in the context of the, the challenges being faced down there at the border. You mentioned we don't need any new laws. Do you anticipate any immigration work happening during this congressional cycle, or is it just is it just too far down the list of priorities right now? Well, it's only down the list of priorities because of the open border, and we pass legislation to solve uh, the problem, and the border isn't enforced, uh, and the fence isn't continued to be built. Uh, people are going to say, well, what's the sense of passing any legislation? Now, the issues you brought up about agricultural workers, uh, that's a very serious thing from the standpoint of the number of workers and from the standpoint of people being able to work year-round because agriculture, uh, at least as we know it in Iowa, isn't a seasonal uh, business. And so consequently, uh, uh, we need to pass legislation. And, and I think passing legislation in that area could be relatively non-controversial. But you get a bill like that on the, out on the Senate floor, and we don't have any restrictions on amendments, and you get every uh, controversial uh, amendment that can be attached to it, so you never get to finality, because it takes 60 votes to move a bill to finality. And with that the case, and, and this is a theme we've heard for the past several years, the idea of just adding additional amendments to these must-pass bills, and then, of course, they become political you know, lightning storms. Senator, is there anything we can do on the Senate side to streamline the process, get back to, a, to more of a regular order? Well, if you're, if you're talking from the standpoint of bipartisanship, the answer is definitely yes. But if you're talking about from the standpoint of reducing the 60-vote requirement down to 51, uh, that's not going to happen because it's going to change the whole constitutional purpose of the United States Senate to have unlimited debate, to force bipartisanship, to force consensus, and to slow things down that might pass the House of Representatives with very little debate or consideration because they don't have any of these rules in the House. Right. That is the value of the filibuster, slowing things down, giving time to breathe and discuss issues. Senator, another several bills you are working on that are being watched closely here in the ag community, I think probably chief amongst them, at least in the folks I've talked to, is the Cattle Market Price Discovery and Transparency Act. I know you have been working. There has been a lot of research done on this bill. Can you give us an update? Where does it sit in the process and what are your expectations going forward? Well, we're getting... Uh, great cooperation from Senate Agriculture Chairman uh, Stabenow of Michigan. She's working with us. Uh, we're getting good help from the Secretary of Agriculture, Vilsack, because he's got to enforce the bill. And so he's working with us to make sure that it, uh, he can administer it. Uh, we're, we're running into competition from the lobbyists for the big, uh, big four cattle slaughtering operations. We're running into it from the North American Meat Institute, so we're up against some strong 
competition, but I think that it's moved uh, much further than I've ever been able to move this issue in the past, and I think we got a good chance of getting it, it, it uh, getting it passed. But uh, it's not easy. I would compliment Senator Tester, one of the main Democrats supporting our bill, because over the weekend he was interviewed and said that he's talked to Schumer about getting time for this bill and another bill that he has to help farming, and I'm a co-sponsor with his other bill, uh, to move it along on uh, if we need uh, time on the floor of the House of Representatives to get it done. So if Schumer is primed to be on our side, uh, that's a big help because he sets the agenda for the United States Senate. Absolutely. And you mentioned that other bill from Tester to which you've co-signed. Is that the right to repair bill, Senator? Uh, no, but I'm well aware of that bill, and uh, I'm sympathetic to what he's trying to do. I don't know whether I've signed on as a co-sponsor on that bill, but it's the one to make sure that we have an inspector general uh, uh, de dealing with these issues uh, that affect uh, uh, agriculture. Gotta have some oversight, that is for sure. Senator, I know also you have been active talking to the EPA about pesticide regulations, a huge concern to farmers across the country. Can you tell us a little bit about your conversations with the EPA and how you've communicated with them? Yeah, uh, to make a long story short, they're dealing, they're dealing with a review of almost every chemical you can think of, which is kind of an extraordinary on its uh, own part and very uh, uh, brings a great deal of nervousness to modern agriculture. Anyway, uh, dicambia is the one main one we're talking about because if you can't use that on soybeans, it's going to be a real weed problem for that. And so uh, we didn't uh, we didn't get any answers in the four or five of us that were on a telephone conversation with uh, Director uh, Regan of EPA, uh, but I did ask him this final question. I said, when you decide you, you, you can't use dicambia, I want you to tell me how you're going to cultivate uh, soybeans that are nine-inch rows, and I haven't got an answer on that yet. Yeah, you got to have a very steady hand when you're steering that cultivator, don't you, Senator? Yeah. yeah. Well, Senator Charles Grassley, Iowa Senior Senator, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Certainly appreciate your insight and the work you're doing in D.C. I'll be with you anytime you want. Thank you. And folks, stay with us when we return. John Sandbach, Executive Director of the National Sunflower Association. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. 
Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking about all things agriculture. And over the past several days on this program, we have talked a lot about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how that's impacting the markets. We're also well aware that agriculture continues to happen in this country and news is still being generated. Tomorrow on the show, Jackie Fatko will join us. She was recently at the Ag Outlook Forum hosted by USDA in Washington, D.C. Well, it was virtual this year, a hybrid. She'll have an update from that. But while we're still thinking about what this Russian invasion can mean, I want to talk about which markets and which American crops could be impacted. One of those that could be most impacted, folks, is sunflowers. Ukraine exported just about 46, almost 47% of global sunflower oil exports, 2020 to 2021 marketing year, and Russia was an additional 30%. So together, they've got nearly 70 to 80% of this market, and they're tied up. Well, what does that mean? For sunflower production here in the U.S. Joining me for this segment is John Sandbach, and he's the executive director of the National Sunflower Association. And John, how is the Sunflower Association prepared for the 2022 growing season after last year's drought? Well, you know, I think, Mike, we're in a, we're in a great position. You know, last year we had a smaller crop, you know, than uh, what we had needed for the, you know, just the domestic needs here in the U.S., and, um, you know, so our industry was already gearing up to get more acres here in 2022, and now, you know, with the opportunities that this is going to open up potentially for our industry, I mean, you're going to see processors are going to be even more aggressive to get sunflower acres this year. Well, and that's the question, John. I mean, we've been seeing sunflower production in this country really struggling to compete for acres with corn and beans and some of the other crops. Do we have enough processing capacity to meet the demand this battle could create? No, definitely, definitely. You know, when you look at the two processing plants in North Dakota, um, there's a smaller plant in, in Colorado, you know, we would definitely have that capacity. And they're both they're both swing plants, so they, they can adjust on, on the fly, and they're going to be able to, to add more sunflowers to their crush. Well, that is reassuring. John, as you think about prices for this level, how have they reacted? What's been the overall market reaction to this move by Russia? Well, you know, just last week alone, we added 50 to 75 cents to new crop. And on the old crop side, we added up to $1.50, 100 weight. So the market did react. Um, you know, they're, they're seeing more and more demand coming in from customers. Uh, people are getting just very nervous because obviously, as you had mentioned earlier, you know, given the percentage that the Russians and Ukrainians export into the world market, I mean, it's going to cause a ripple effect, not just here in the U.S., but in all markets as, as you know, importers look for alternative supplies. Yeah, it certainly is. And John, I was wondering, we're only, what, nearly a week or half a week into this move, but we've already seen exports shut off for both the Ukraine and Russia. It, are we seeing importers struggling right now to get uh, inputs met? Well, you know, right now, I think, you know, there were there were some boats that were on the water, and so they're, they're going to be delivered. But it's anything that anybody has that had not been loaded already. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, the, the Ukrainian and the Ru Russians, especially Ukrainians, 
are going to declare force majeure and that they will not be able to load or deliver. And so anything going forward that's not on the water already, I mean, they're going to have to find an alternative supply, whether that be sunflower oil from another destination and or a different type of oil itself. And John, we haven't discussed sunflower oil much on this program. It's the third largest traded veg oil after uh, soy and palm oil. Are, is the industry excited about this move towards renewable diesel? Do you share that excitement we hear from a lot of folks on the soybean oil side? You know, definitely. Definitely. It, it's something that's very exciting for all veg oils because whether or not your oil is being actually used as renewable fuel, I mean, there's still that food demand that's out there. And on the sunflower side of things, you know, we're not expecting to be in, in the renewable diesel because of the credits that we could generate. But the thing is, the more soybean oil or canola oil that's used in that type of a product, it's just going to increase more demand on the food side for us. And that's exactly the sector where we're best suited for. Indeed it is. And as you think about that food demand, John, has it changed throughout COVID? Have we seen more folks jumping into to, to sunflowers through COVID? You know, we have. Um, you know, we, we've seen just excellent demand. And that is, you know, most of our oil is used in in-home products or in in-home cooking. And that's where we've seen the biggest growth. I mean, you know, when you look at the restaurant trade, obviously, though, you know, they really suffered. And they, they were just not, you know, having those sales that they normally would. But uses in home and, and like ready to eat products and just with people cooking more at home, you know, and that's where Sunflower's niche is. And so definitely we, we've seen some really strong demand. That is good to hear, John. As we are preparing for the growing season, of course, the territory that American sunflowers are grown on is still very dry. How, as you talk to growers out there, how are they preparing their acreage for this year? Are they going to plant more to be to, to sunflowers anticipating the weather might uh, hurt yield yet again? You know, from, from what I'm hearing from seed companies and the producers I visited with, you know, that there's a lot of people that are, that are adding more sunflowers to their rotation. And we've even had new growers that have you know, not grown sunflower in the past, but they saw how well they did in last year's drought and, you know, in their neighbor's areas. And they're thinking that, you know, this might be just a really good alternative crop. And, you know, when you look at where new crop prices are at, I mean, we're about $10 a hundredweight higher right now than we were last year at this time. And even when you look at crop insurance values, I mean, you know, currently oil type sunflowers are looking at about a little over 32 cent um, insurance coverage, confection over 40 cents. And last year at this time, we were at $22 and $27. So, you know, sunflower is, is really trending as far as very well as far as prices, and it's catching the eye of a lot of different producers. It is. And for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with sunflowers, John, what's the geography that they are traditionally grown here in this country? You know, mainly if, if you went from North Dakota in South Dakota, Minnesota, down through the panhandle of Texas. That's the whole central part of the U.S., add in eastern Colorado, and that's where you have the main sunflower production here in the U.S. A lot of places to add sunflower acreage, folks. If you're looking for a crop to put into rotation, sunflowers might be one to consider this year. John, if we've got listeners who are curious about sunflowers, where can they go to learn some more? Well, you know, the best place is to go to our website at www.sunflowernsa.com. It'll give you a listing of, you know, places to sell the crop and, and how to produce it. Check that out. National Sunflower Association, John Sandbach, an executive director. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Mike, for having me on your program. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk Ag Outlook Forum as well as John Holzman will give us an update on the situation in Ukraine. We'll see you tomorrow on AOA.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.